Hi, welcome to the Creative Review Podcast. I'm Eliza Williams, and today we're going to talk about awards and festivals and all that stuff, as we're now entering the full-on awards season. Uh, to join me on this quest, I have uh, two of CR's writers, uh, Rachel Stephen. Hello. And Amy McLaughlin. Hello. So, awards. But there's already been, we've just had our awards. We had a party last week to launch our annual event. And I think it was this week the BAFTAs happened. It's all starting to blur. It might Sunday, have been the end yeah. of, yeah, was it the weekend? Yeah, on the weekend. And uh, DNAD is coming around the corner next week. And Cannes is looming on the horizon. Obviously, the Cannes Film Festival is going on. So there's a lot of awards and festivals. So we're going to talk about them. Awards, awards, awards. <laughs> awards, awards, awards. <laughs> so I guess one thing I wanted to ask about at the awards set up is because we sort of question ourselves about this as well is do what do awards bring what do you think Rach do awards bring are they a good thing to have in the industry I think they are um I know that people sometimes question the value of them now and sometimes it can feel like there are an awful lot of awards schemes. yeah I think Perhaps that's we the don't problem need all of them but I think the actual purpose of awards I think they are still needed like for a lot of younger creatives starting out as well working on a project that wins an award can actually mean quite a lot to them in the industry yeah a huge um, amount i think yeah. yeah absolutely um so that can have a really big impact on people's careers but also in a broader industry sense um i think it provides quite a lot of reflection and discussion around why we make work and, and why people do what they do um and i think that can only be a good thing as well yeah um, so i feel like it it, it it kind of has an impact on the industry through provoking a lot of debate around creative work. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I mean, it might seem obvious that we will big up our own awards scheme, but uh, I thought what was interesting this year, we have our awards tend to be split into two categories that you have the in book winners, which are just projects that we think were outstanding, and then you have the super best in book winners, which are projects that we really feel were like the kind of gold standard of the year. And there were nine of those this year. And I, I do feel like looking at them, like considering I think it's not the easiest time to be a creative in the creative industries, I feel like there was really pretty amazing work was made. And, you know, we can criticise certainly the advertising industry a fair bit at CR and sort of question where whether the creativity is where it wants to be and the industry itself thinks about that an awful lot. Um, but I actually think when you look at the work that won, like the Viva La Volva, mm that the ad for Labresse, um, the amazing project 84 piece, which won actually in the design category, uh, which was for Calm, looking at male suicide. Uh, name some of the others of that stood out. Well. Nothing Beats Londoner, of, of course. Of course, yeah, Nothing Beats Londoner. I mean, you look at these things and actually, it doesn't show an industry that's, I mean, if anything, it's sort of so high, those particular pieces of work. So much other work didn't sort of really come that close, but it shows it's still possible to make these incredible pieces of work that I, I mean, I think slash hope will still be looked back upon and said, oh, you know, that was gold standards then. But are we seeing that in other industries? I mean, the BAFTAs, there was an interesting TV at the moment, is it? is at, it's at its height, perhaps one could say. And there were some interesting questions raised around what won at the BAFTAs. What do you, what do you think of the BAFTA winners? I'm very happy that Killing Eve um, won, yeah. won some awards. Um, anyone who reads our latest issue will have heard me uh, fangirling about Phoebe Waller-Bridge and how much <laughs> I love the show, um, both Killing Eve and Fleabag. Um, there was one that I was slightly surprised by, which was the admission of Derry Girls. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it was nominated in a category, but it didn't win. And 
I felt like that was a shame because I felt like it was so original and um, authentic's a really overused word but Lisa McGee the creator I mean we interviewed her about her work on it and she'd she'd really drawn this kind of really vivid funny portrait of, of life in Northern Ireland at that time and I felt like it was a story that wasn't really told and I thought it was really interesting to make this sitcom that could swing between funny and sad but was really quite light-hearted and and set it in this time where um, it was a very bleak time in, in lots of respects but actually show a kind of lighter side to, to life in Northern Ireland at that time and I, I wasn't too familiar with the, the rest of the work in that category so I'm I'm not trying to say You're that biased. I disagree with all of the judges' <laughs> opinions I'm obviously biased but I think that's maybe the one that I was a little bit surprised by I think yeah, yeah. Amy, what do you think? Yeah, I know that the article that you're talking about um, in The Guardian, it kind of mentioned that maybe some um, TV shows get a bit overlooked because they don't pick up on perhaps like some of the big social issues of the year. So one that um, we were talking about earlier that I felt like personally was an oversight was A Very English Scandal. Yeah, it was um, amazing. Which yeah. was so like funny and just brilliantly done and Hugh Grant was like, I know Hugh. Got, I don't, yeah, Hugh Grant didn't get. Ben Whishaw got a, an award, I think, for that. I think Did that he? was the only okay. thing he got. Supporting actor, I think, which yeah. like, you know, very like justifiably so. But yeah, it wasn't. It didn't win big. I mean, Mark Lawson wrote this piece, which I think he was suggesting that um, that, as you say, it was overlooked for sort of slightly political reasons, maybe. Mm. And I don't know. I wonder in awards, it can. I think it can be easy when you're in a judging room to veer to the worthy. I suppose. Definitely. I yeah, I think that's a discussion that has come up around the Oscars as well yeah. in the past, um, with people kind of commenting on whether perhaps sometimes there might be brilliant films that are just really, really well made, um, yeah. but they maybe kind of uh, lose out in favour of films that address a more important kind of social issue. And, and I think we were talking about this earlier, I think um, you definitely want to see award schemes reflect the, the big issues in society, but what you want to do is kind of balance that with also awarding work that is, you know, the best of its of its class or yeah. is, is just a fantastic piece of work or storytelling. And so I think you you want your awards to kind of capture the spirit of the year, but you just never want to do that at the expense of, of, of also, um, which I'm not saying the BAFTAs has done, but I think it's... No, it's, it's an interesting point, though. I mean, so, the, the only thing with uh, Lawson's piece that made me kind of a little bit was when he sort of slightly suggested that Killing Eve may have been chosen because of its all-female creative team which I was a bit like because yeah. I just think it was an amazing television show yeah and such an <laughs> unusual twist on a genre where there has been so many shows made with the same kind of formula the same kind of setup usually a really male-dominated cast and women are quite minor roles and it was just fun and different yeah. and funny and yeah I think that was really why it won and not just the fact that it was an all-female creative team but yeah. maybe that's just me again I'm probably quite biased because I really <laughs> like the show <laughs> but bias is interesting because I think obviously with judging and I, I I remember over the years with the annual judging that there would be certain times in the because we the creative review always has a one member of the team in the in the room with the rest of the panel and we're definitely allowed fights. to yeah, we're, we're <laughs> supposed to break up fights but we're also allowed to give our own point of view as well but there have definitely been points along the way where you think no don't use that <laughs> in the years gone by and uh and you can't you know you can't steer it really you just and that, and that must be true of all award schemes that occasionally there must be choices made where you think oh no yeah and yeah. I feel like one of the things with awards sometimes you notice that because there is a lot of them now sometimes they get stuck in a little bit of an echo chamber where like the same sort of projects get picked up and awarded all the time so like 
Fearless Girl was one of the ones I mm. noticed last year that was everywhere and was another sort of brand purpose type piece. But one of the criticisms of it um, was that, you know, it was chosen for being this really powerful statement, whatever, but actually the brand wasn't even really mentioned yeah, in the no, campaign that's that much. Yeah, and was a little bit of a contentious brand to be sending that message. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then what I sort of noticed um, this year, particularly with the annual stuff, is that um, some of the stuff with Best in Book, although we were still picking up on um, campaigns and projects which were about brand purpose and serious subjects, um, what was quite refreshing is that a lot of them were done in quite a different or like like light-humoured, light-hearted yeah. or humorous way. So like Viva La Volva, which you mentioned before, I thought was a really great one because although it's about a really serious subject of women feeling um, embarrassed about the way that their vulvas look and being really insecure about it and the, ri- the rise of like um, labiaplasties and stuff like that, it was actually, the ad itself was done in a really funny and just like different way. Yeah, no, it's true. And because looking back at the Cannes winners last year, they it felt very worthy. And I think it's there is this sort of sense where definitely when juries are in a room together that you, there's a herding that happens anyway. And then especially if something it feel you know it feels good to award something you can do it but then when you see loads and loads and loads of projects like that it can feel a bit exhausting i'm hoping it can that things like viva la volva will will kind of bring a bit of life back to those mm. uh, festivals as well and i mean fingers we'll crossed. see fingers <laughs> crossed exactly it's hard to know at this point <laughs> but, uh, but yes and then so talking about festivals it's been a sort of slightly interesting week a few Things have come up around DNAD that we thought we might discuss a little bit and the wider questions that this actually raises around festivals generally that uh, DNAD have had a few of their speakers pull out based on the fees that are paid to uh, speakers at these festivals, which I think actually raises, I don't think this is a DNAD only problem by any stretch of the imagination. And I mean, we, you know, I should say for, for, Full disclosure, we do a lot of work with DNAD. I mean, people, we hold events with them. We're kind of close. We're doing some various uh, panels for them next week. But beyond that, we're not really affiliated in any official way, but we're kind of mates with DNAD. <laughs> and, um, but having said that, I think it is an interesting time for that festival and for festivals generally where in the industry there's lots of discussion around diversity uh, who gets the right to speak at events and you know DNAD were clearly in their speaker panel very conscious of that they had a very diverse set of speakers but now the diverse speakers because it's uh, Liv Little is one of the speakers that's pulled out because of not being paid and uh, the it feels like those are the people who are now pulling out because of this so it's like oh. I mean I don't know do, it, do you think it's a fair point that's being made? Yes I think it's really, <laughs> yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's yeah. really, really difficult. Anyone who's ever put on an event will know that some people will refuse to do an event unless they get paid. But sometimes they might be, you know, the headliner act, so to speak. Yeah. And so you might then be under pressure to bring them in so that you can sell more tickets. Um, yeah, and I, there's often that thing that you the big names go everywhere, but actually they're the thing that gets people to buy a ticket, so that's awkward as well. Yeah, and you might be getting pressure from kind of... Because a lot of these 
events rely on sponsorship as well and um, the costs of the tickets i mean i i don't know anything about the the kind of profitability of of D festival but i'm just kind of speaking about I mean, events they, more generally so they have said, made a statement in response to to i think it's it's two people so far it's live little and nicole crystal crinsel have pulled out i don't know if there are others but they have made a statement saying that they are very sorry for the uh confusion i suppose and that and that they are going to rethink their festival set up in the future on this basis so they they have acknowledged that perhaps they haven't done it quite the right way but they also have made the point that as a charity or non-profit they reinvest everything that all the money that comes from the festival gets reinvested in the kind of various things that they do which include projects for young creatives and students and so on so It's, it is slightly different to a kind of very corporate setup. Yeah, I think there are some profit. situations where it feels very clearly like people are being exploited for being asked to talk for free, and especially if it's a, a, a an event that is purely set up to make a lot of profit, or it's a massive brand that you know has the budget to pay everybody yeah. a big amount. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think everyone should get paid. I think I think they should, should right? get paid, and this is this is where it gets really really problematic. Um, and I don't the. I don't know what the right model is. It's going to get very complicated because the same way you've seen in entertainment over, you know, how much stars are paid when they're in a film, the problem Mm. is some people will be able to negotiate harder and say, you know, I know I'm going to sell X amount of tickets or drive, you know, this much engagement and I will probably, my appearance is going to get you, you know, loads of sponsors on board and say, I feel like I'm in a stronger negotiating position to ask for more money. You're, You're then going to get emerging talent that maybe... Um, will find it more difficult to make that argument. I don't know what the solution is, really. I mean, it, it's certainly, I don't think, a good place to be when some people are getting paid and some people aren't, because that does just feel very mm. unfair. I think it probably just needs a lot more transparency on yeah. behalf of the companies are putting on these kind of events, so even if they're they're paying, like, a token amount to each speaker, but committing to do, do that at the very least, yeah. that seems like a good first step, potentially. Yeah. But I do kind of think... In some ways, it is a slightly grey area because um, the story about DNAD kind of reminded me um, of a design festival that I went to last year called Birmingham Design Festival, yeah. and it was the the first year of the festival, um, and you know they were trying to do a really great thing like setting up um, a creative community in um, an area of the country which doesn't hasn't had a lot of stuff like that before in the Midlands, um, so they're trying to do a really great thing and. When I did a I did a follow up piece with them after the event, um, just about what it was like setting up the festival, um, and they said that actually a lot of their headline headliner speakers, so they had people like um, really big names like Marina Willer, Anthony Burrell, Craig Goldham, they said that a lot of those speakers had actually waived their right to getting um, paid a speaker fee right. um, because they wanted to support that festival in its first year mm. um, and sort of, you know, give it the legs. And they're, co- they're sort of regular speakers, aren't they? So they're right, sure Yeah, they're, they're regular on the speakers on the, yeah. on the circuit. Um, but having said that, um, the festival is also um, quite principled about the fact that a lot of these um, kinds of festivals just charge a lot of money for people to attend. So yeah. they kind of made the point that um they were only going to charge i think it was about 15 quid or something for like an evening ticket to see these headliners 
and they also put on a lot of free events during the day. Yeah. Okay. So in their That's case, it difference. kind of yeah, it kind of felt a bit more justified in in their case, especially because it was their first year. Yeah. So, yeah, because I think the DNAD this year, like the sort of prices if you're a professional are in that sort of hundreds of pounds, so which is quite a lot. It's a lot of money. I think yeah. it's. I, I guess my sort of concern with it is that who are the people who always don't get paid? And yeah. if you know the creative industries in a general sense have a problem with not with underpaying people or with asking for favors uh getting people to do stuff you know sort of for empowerment or for recognition themselves and doing it for free and it feels like more and more that that's been questioned in the wider sense that should that ever really be the case should we be having interns that aren't paid properly should and does that stop certain people entering the industry? I mean, I think the easy answer to that is yes, it obviously does. It means that only certain groups of people are going to be able to be in the creative industries. And so this has been talked about a lot, but I, and so it does feel like a bit of a stumble on DNAD's part at this particular juncture yeah. to not have thought that that might happen, especially also because like with Can Lions sort of a couple of years ago, there was the moment where the kind of attendees and the speakers and the people who propped the whole thing up like started to question of the way the festival was being done and that whether the festival was sort of becoming a little bit too powerful it was, you know it was it was very extended it was a 10-day festival it was extremely expensive to go there was the way the hotels were structured in Cannes were being very controlled by the festival and and so publicists famously sort of pulled out and didn't go and the whole and as a result the whole festival actually did change last year and it'll be interesting to see this year how that's continued mm. and it does show that there is a power you have as either a speaker or someone attending like you yeah. You should have a right to say, well, this is how we want this to reflect our industry, I think. Yeah, and I think it is actually fantastic that people have spoken out about this and drawn mm. attention to it, and that rather than just kind of saying, well, I'm not doing it anymore, that the speakers are, are starting a bit of debate about it, because it, it does seem like something we need a discussion around, and I think it goes back to Amy's point on we definitely need to just be transparent about it, and if you can afford to pay people, you really, really yeah. should be, because otherwise you risk, um, I guess, kind of giving more money to the people who are already these big established headline names, and and actually not supporting the up-and-coming people who yeah. are, yeah, and that's that's a really difficult area to be in because that no longer feels like you're kind of championing creativity in, in a way. Um, yeah. yeah, and it feel, I mean, it feel, you know, to, get, to be benefit of the doubt, you sort of feel like maybe they've stumbled into this, uh, un, you know, un, I don't think it was a planned thing, obviously, but it, perhaps in the way that Can responded very... They, you know, they had a period of time where they kind of thought about it and then they responded with a very clear kind of, OK, we are going to change. I mean, maybe that's what's required now from DNAD. It's like this this has kind of gone away that we didn't expect and didn't want and it's made us kind of reflect and now this is how we're going to deal with it. And that's what I suppose that's what I hope will happen is that they then set a sort of benchmark in the way they have in so many other ways with supporting new talent and so on, that they yeah. do a... They set a similar benchmark going forward now and... We'll yeah, see. I mean, they responded yesterday saying that they're, they're kind of really taking everyone's comments on board and it certainly seems like they want to kind of go away and think about how this can work. And yeah. I think as part of that, it's really, I guess, kind of talking to the community who do come and speak at these kind of events. And yeah, because there's a huge amount of goodwill for DNAD in the industry, I think. And, you know, everyone wants that to continue. So, yeah. yeah. Very good. All right. I think we're going to leave it there. Thanks for listening. And uh, you can read more about these topics at creativereview.co.uk.